Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. If you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Thank you for being here as we wrap up the Me I Want to Be series today. When I uh, was uh, growing up, I used to love the books that were all about quests. And I don't know if any of you sort of uh, had that particular uh, sort of a bent, but you know, they were, you know what I mean, right? You would get a, a diverse group of, uh, of people or creatures, you know, you'd have your wizard and you would have like a giant and you would have like, uh, you know, your swordsman and they would all, all of these different people with all of these different, am I the only one that enjoyed books with quests in them? All right, so anyway, I, I love these books and they were big fat books and my parents would regularly find me in the middle of the night covers over my head with a flashlight and I'm reading like four or 500 page books and I'm just loving the story of all these diverse people with their unique giftings doing some incredible thing that they would not be able to do on their own. In fact, the only video game to this day that I play with any sort of regularity is Clash of Clans. I don't know if there's any Clash fans here. I don't know if you guys know this game. Anyway, it's like, you know, I know some of you are because you're in my clan, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, but, uh, and some of you are pretty good, others, eh. but, um, uh, but, but, you know, it's the same idea, right? Like all of these diverse uh, kinds of uh, creatures coming together to do something uh, fantastic. I think this is so exciting because now I get to work with a diverse group of people with all sorts of different gifts and different abilities, different strengths, different weaknesses, and we together get to do something great for the world. We have a quest that we are on here at Beacon as followers of Christ. I don't think it's a coincidence that it's the thing I've always loved and it's the thing I get to do now. See, I think that that God has a plan, that he made me a certain way with certain strengths and leanings and with certain weaknesses, and he wants me to do a work that fits with who I am, that helps bring God's kingdom more fully to the earth. Do you know that God made you unique to do meaningful work in the world. Do you know that? Do you have a sense of the eternal value of your work? See, I think the Christian church hasn't always been too helpful in understanding the role of your work as it impacts your Christian life and your calling. Usually what the church has to say about work is, listen, be careful. Don't work too hard. Don't work too much. Don't work too many hours. You have to balance life and work and family and church. Make sure church fits in there somewhere. We've all heard it said. In fact, I have even said it to you. No one on their deathbed wishes they spent more time at the office. 
right? We've all heard this. I've actually, I've actually used it. And we usually use it as a way to tell people to spend more time with their family and friends or doing something meaningful. And I think there is some truth in this, especially if you're kind of a workaholic and you don't understand, you know, balance and rhythm and, and Sabbath and all that kind of stuff. But, but I think that this isn't really the whole picture that we get from the scriptures. John Ortberg, in the book that we're using as a basis for part of this series, he says, the Bible is a book written by workers for workers. But too often in discussion about spiritual life, our work gets ignored. He goes on to list three possible orientations that people have toward our work. They say work can be a job. That means you can view it as simply the means by which you pay the bills. I go to work, I pay my bills, so I can go do fun stuff when I'm not working. You have a job if that is your outlook. Or you could have a career. A career means that you're building today for something greater tomorrow that will benefit you even more. So you're on a trajectory where I'm going to keep building my career so that I will have more benefit later. More money, more prestige, more status, more power. You're viewing it how, how, you're, how much success that your work is creating for you. If that's where you're at, then you have a career. Or your work can be a calling. A calling. And I suspect that not as many have found themselves with a calling. When you have a calling, it means someone is doing the calling. And any work that has meaning, that has potential to be a blessing to people or to the earth, can be a calling. Tim Keller, the way that he phrases this in a really spectacular book, he says, our work can be a calling only if it is reimagined as a mission of service to something beyond merely our own interests. Thinking of work mainly as a means to self-fulfillment and self-realization slowly crushes a person and undermines society itself. Listen, it doesn't matter what work you do. Anything you do can be a job, a career, or a calling. So, for instance, if you make lunches for kids at school, and you do it because of the glory of God and because you love the kids, you might have a calling. Now, if you're a nurse, people would say, well, clearly you're, you've been called into it. You're in a caring field. But if you're simply using that to try to get ahead so that you can add more value to your life, it's just a path for you, then it actually could be merely a career. It depends on how you view these things. If you're an electrician and you're trying to start a company so that you can get more trucks, so that you can buy another home, well, then you might have a career. Some would say, well, if you're in ministry of some sort, you're a pastor, obviously this is a calling. I know plenty of pastors who are only doing it for a paycheck because they, they couldn't dig ditches, so they went into ministry. And so, you know, now they have a job. They don't even have a career. For them, it's just a job to pay the bills. See, it doesn't matter what you do. If you're cleaning rest stop bathrooms in order to keep people happy and healthy and safe, in the name of Jesus, then you have a calling. 
See, what matters is how you view the work and how you do the work. And that work can be anything that creates value and beauty for people and the earth. To qualify as God-honoring work, it doesn't even require that you receive pay. It is the work that you put out to do it. Now, there is also, I don't know what else to call it, but like there's a whole category, it's a sliver, tiny, tiny sliver of work that simply doesn't seem like it's redeemable. All right, so call it sinful work or whatever, whatever you want, but there does seem to be some work that is so antithetical to the values of God's kingdom that the only way that you can actually redeem that is to quit and to find redemptive kind of work. You know, so like, you know, if you're a pimp or you're running like a, you know, you're running like a porn website or something like that, or you're like a drug dealer. Um, I assume that's illegal drugs because I guess there's a whole big drug dealer industry that's out there. Anyway, I don't, I was going to say like lawyers and politicians fit in that category, but you know, or maybe the guy that programs traffic lights, like clearly that guy can't redeem his work. Cat rescue people. But I realize there are all of that. I know that that is all actually possible to do for the good of the kingdom. But there are a tiny little sliver. But other than that, if you're not in those particular fields, then what you do can, in fact, be redeemed for the good of God's kingdom. See, and I think it's helpful for us to start to think a little bit differently about our work because God gave us work. Many of the ancient creation stories speak of the world being born out of tension, out of conflict, out of chaos, some epic fight, usually among the gods, but not the Bible. The Bible starts with a creative and a powerful God doing work. That's how it phrases it. He's doing work. Other cosmologies paint the picture of the God sort of sitting idly by while others do work for them. You know, this is another way that some of the, the, the ancient peoples viewed the world. But in the Genesis narrative, work isn't below God. It's actually what he does. And it's a high calling that he gave to us, his creation. In Genesis 2, verse 15, the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of us. That's, that's part of the plan. He actually gave us charge of the planet with the idea that we are to use our unique gifts to bring value to the earth. And that means, and this is key, that work was a part of paradise. We don't escape work to go to paradise like many of us try to do on vacation, right? Work was a part of paradise. Work isn't a curse. It isn't a punishment. It isn't even a necessary evil. It's a part of the fabric of paradise. We have the 10th commandment, right? I mean, it's the 10 commandments. The fourth commandment is the Sabbath commandment. And we love to say, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. But what we fail to remember is this actually governs all seven days. It says, on six days you shall work and on one day you shall rest. We always like to talk about the Sabbath rule. What about the six days we ought to work? Somebody should tell the French that. Like there's actually six days we're supposed to work. Most of the Bible heroes 
were real people with real jobs. Abraham was a rancher. Sarah, a stay-at-home mom. Ruth took care of her aging mother, and she worked a side job in farming. Joseph was a manager and a city official. Moses was a sheep herder, and then he sort of a governor. Esther, she worked the beauty pageant circuit for a while. <laughs> then she became the first lady of an empire. David worked in the family business while working a side gig as a musician. Apparently that didn't work out, so he went into the military. And then ultimately he went into politics. Lydia was in the international textile trade. Paul made tents. Even Jesus spent most of his life in construction. These are workers. And I think, frankly, the negative attitude that Christians have about work is disappointing. I expect non-Christians to whine about their jobs and their lives. What, what, what else would you expect? But not so for Christ followers. Work is a basic human need, like family, friends, food. We need to work to be fully human. There was a study on rats that Ortberg mentions. So there were rats that were just given food, and there were rats that were made to work for their food. And the rats that were given a challenge to work for their food got smarter and lived longer than the rats that were simply given food. And without work, we get a sense, sort of an uneasy emptiness. Now, as a church, we have a mission, right? Our mission is to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. That's what we do. So how do we love God at work? I think we have to recognize to do that, that, God, that our work matters to God, that it's key. We've got to find ways to bring God back into the workplace, put him at the center of what we do. For instance, in Colossians chapter 3, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. See, everything you do in your work isn't merely for human masters. It's for your God. See, you can love God, you can honor him by recognizing that every single day you wake up is his. It's not, he's not the God of Sunday alone. He's also the God of Monday through Saturday. And what you do there and how you honor him will determine whether or not you can love God in the midst of whatever you are doing. And when you view everything you do as to the glory of God, you are beginning to love God through your work. Well, how do you love people at work. Well, I mean, this is, this, is, this is a piece of cake, right? I mean, it's a piece of cake to recognize how to do it's another thing. Because you get to practice love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. You can grow in the fruit of the Spirit at work. But you can also do your work skillfully and in an excellent way. And when you do that, you are actually loving people as a result. When you create beauty, or you restore something that was broken. You're loving people. You know, so you might be fixing a pothole or designing a welcoming and visually pleasing building. Maybe when you corral a crazy group of teens or preteens 
and you try to teach them something useful about the world. See, you're building something up when you sit patiently with a person with special needs. This is good, and you're loving people. You're being Jesus for them. So you remember that rat study, right? So the rats that, that were given a challenge lived longer. Well, they also had a group of rats that were being challenged for their food, but they were being challenged as a community of rats. They weren't living in isolation. And those rats lived even longer and were even smarter than the rats that were given challenges in isolation. See, we're meant to be wired together, to be knit together, to love others. And we can do that through our work. It'll change the whole way you view the work that you do. Well, how do you grow in Christ at work? This is kind of an interesting one because there's kind of a, a, a way that we can view. Our, so when you go to work, there isn't like work at love at first sight, right? Like you, go to, you get a job, you're like, only a handful of people are like, yes, this is what I've always wanted to do. I wanted to come and be with them, you know, work for the man and try to make money and somebody with an alarm clock. And like, you know, it's usually you have to grow into this. And that process of growing into your work is very similar to the process of spiritual formation. So nobody wakes up as a prayer warrior. That's just not what happens. You, you set yourself to the work of prayer, to the task of prayer. And you practice it every day, and over time you get more proficient, and you begin to experience some joy in it. And you see, when you are working, it's the, the work that we do gets strengthened over time as we show up and as we do our best, and as we strive to get better. And that means the same muscles that you're exercising are the same muscles you're going to need to grow in Christ. And this actually applies to every field of endeavor. In addition to that, rarely will you ever get practice at being a Christian as readily as you will at work. I mean, if you are being challenged time and again for those nine or ten hours a day that you are commuting and working. And if you're seeing them as opportunities to grow in Christ, you know, that means you sit down and you realize, wait a second, I can't be on Facebook all day. That's stealing from my employer. That's not growing in Christ. You might start to realize that, you know what, I can't cut corners. So when you decide not to cut corners in order to get ahead, or when you decide to pull back a flawed product rather than ship it, even though it is going to cost you, when you diffuse all of that toxic talk around the water cooler, you're growing in Christ. And all of these opportunities are presented to you on a daily basis. What struggles are you facing at work? What difficult people are you dealing with? And how are these situations able to help you grow in Christ? Ask yourself a simple question. If Jesus was your direct supervisor, how would you have worked differently today? And you'll be able to grow in Christ through your work. So how do we serve the world? Well, we've touched on it in a few different ways already. And of course, there are always opportunities to be the light of Christ uh, at your office to serve them for the good of the kingdom. You know, some people make it a point to share their faith and others will leave a Bible out on, 
you know, their desk or they'll listen to Christian music. I know some Christians that offer to pray for their coworkers, and they're looking for ways to be salt and light in the midst of, of, their, uh, of their work lives. And that's great. That, that's fine, usually, if you're not being weird about it. Um, but, you know, so that, but that, and that's all fine. That's all per, per, perfectly good ways of, like, trying to serve, serve the world at work. But the very work itself is also a way to serve people. You know, we serve a God and a Savior who said that he came not to be served, but to serve. And that servant attitude, my goodness, in a dog-eat-dog, you know, push you off the ladder so I could get ahead of you on the ladder kind of a culture, imagine the difference a servant attitude can make. And that's what we're called to be. Work is one of the ways that we get to make ourselves valuable and helpful and useful to others rather than simply live for ourselves. We have to start breaking down this individualistic view of the world because we are, we're in the world for the world. That's what we're doing here. We're not in the world for ourselves. And we can, we can love people through our work. We can serve people, our customers, our colleagues, clients, coworkers. We can serve them as Christ has called us to serve. And when that happens, Jesus smiles on your life. And he brings real value, eternal value. So we have to work like Jesus called you to it. I was listening to somebody, it was a John Piper sermon. It's an extended clip, but it's a really fascinating kind of a, a little picture he paints uh, under this rubric of don't waste your life. And so I wanted to share it with you. Somebody put it to pictures like on YouTube or something like that. I hope, I hope you find it as compelling as I did. But one of the really sad things about this moment right now is that there are hundreds of you in this crowd who do not want your life to make a difference. All you want is to be liked. Maybe finish school, get a good job, find a husband or a wife, a nice house, a nice car, long weekends, good vacations, grow old healthy, have a fun retirement, die easy, no hell. And that's all you want. And you don't give a rip whether your life counts on this earth for eternity. And that's a tragedy in the making. That is a tragedy in the making. About three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, over 80, single all her life, a nurse, poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick 
and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and then in retirement, partnering up with Ruby, also pushing 80, and going from village to village in Cameroon. And the brakes give way. Over a cliff they go, and they're dead instantly. And I asked my people, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s, almost, a, a whole life devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places and 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico fly into eternity with a death in a moment is this a tragedy I asked it is not a tragedy I'll read you what a tragedy is. I've got a little article here from Reader's Digest. Title of the article, Start Now, Retire Early, February 1998. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. And there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream, a nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Look, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a good swing. And look at my boat. God, Look at my boat, God. Well, not for Ruby and not for Laura. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. There was on the kitchen wall in our house a little plaque. I grew up with it from the time I was six on, and now it hangs on the wall in my living room at home. 
And it said this, only one life till soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. 48 years I've seen that almost every day of my life. And I am here to plead with you to make your life count for the cross. We have to work like Jesus called us to it. And it doesn't matter. With, with your day job, with your side job, with your volunteer time that you put into, into the work in this world, whatever you do, do it like Jesus called you to it. View it through the lens of eternity and God will account it to you for eternity. It doesn't matter whether it's big or small, whether it's esteemed or has very little esteem in this world. God is watching it. And you honor him in it. Dorothy Sayers, she said, what is the Christian understanding of work? It is that work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is or should be the full expression of the worker's faculties, the medium in which he offers himself to God. Imagine if we could live every moment of our lives in that way. I'm going to be asking, uh, I'm going to ask that uh, Tiffany come back up and lead us in a couple of songs as we prepare our hearts to go to the Lord's table. Uh, would you stand as I pray for us here? Lord, I'm asking that you would meet us here in these moments. Lord, we're all over the place here. There, we all come from so many different parts and backgrounds and different careers, professions, jobs. I'm asking, Lord, that you would meet us in only the way that uh, you can. I pray, Lord, that you would stir up our hearts so that we might see the eternal value in what we do, that you would challenge us, Lord, if we're not doing the right stuff, that you would bring us to a new place, that, Lord, we would measure our lives according to your eternal standard. I'm asking, Father, that you uh, would do the work that only the Spirit can do in us. I pray that each person here would be drawn ever closer into that, that perfect place where we might know that all we do, we do for you. That the work of our hands, that the creativity that you've given us, that the intelligence that we put to the task, that the blood, the sweat, and the tears are an offering to you a sacrifice we make for the betterment of this world and for the charge that we were originally given to go into the world, to be fruitful, to multiply, to have charge over it, to let your presence be known and felt, the image of God in us all over the face of the earth. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.